Do you like to look good? You know Aaron and Trent do with that hairdo they have. Check out outerregspomade.com. That's outerregs with an S, pomade.com. They have five different hair care products that you can check out. They have hashtag basic, the dirty mic, the pipe hitter, the original pomade, and then they have the beach bum spray uh, that all go in your hair. I've used some of it. Um, it's really good. And funny enough, it smells really good too uh, and works well. They also have stuff for beard care. If uh, you need some beard oil or beard conditioner, uh, they have tattoo cream that you can use to help keep those, that fresh ink that you've got uh, looking nice. And they also have stickers, hats, and apparel that you guys can check out. Um, this is also a veteran. He's an Air Force guy, um, still young in his career, but I mean, he's killing it already. And uh, really this Outer Rex Pomade is fantastic. So use the promo code OnesReady at checkout to get yourself a discount. Um, help them because they help us. We're not getting anything from this, but you know what? Uh, we just want to help because you guys know this, a rising tide raises all ships. So we're just here to help. Again, that's Adaregs, Palmade with an S. Promo code ONES READY gets you a discount. And this week, we have a very special guest on. His name is Josh. And one of the, the best things about our community, I think, is I uh, met one of my guys who knew a guy who I called, and now he's on the podcast. It's just one of those things where um, I, I've never met Josh Lawrence before. And we got on the phone call, started talking, and teammates are teammates are teammates in this community. And he feels like a brother uh, from another mother, or who knows how that works biologically. But Josh, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Excited to have you on here. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Trent. I appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. Um, yeah, my name is Josh Lawrence. I've, I'm from California, originally born and raised. I joined the Air Force when I was 22, um, became a TACP. Uh, so spent the last 13 years as a TACP all over. Uh, JBLM was my first duty station. Went down to Fort Irwin, did my sentence, as most people say there, for three and a half years as an OC. And then went over to Fort Bragg for the last uh, four years and then got out, transitioned into the Guard about 10 months ago. So, yeah, it's my military life. I mean, on personal side, I'm just an adventure seeker. Love to mountain bike, snowboard, hike, you know, kind of like all of us in this in this community. So what is an, what is an OC? I always have questions because I, what I've learned through this podcast <laughs> is I know absolutely little, like nothing about pararescue <laughs> and TACP. So like I'm retarded. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you should go be an OC then to figure it out. It's great. It's a really good experience. <laughs> it's a, it's a observer coach and trainer. So you're, you're down at Fort Irwin and there's the other, other one out at Fort Polk, Louisiana. And you're basically, when you all show up to do a rotation, like deployment prep or whatever, the OCs were stationed there and we, we go out and we just observe, we coach and we train you in the direction of like a deployment. So we help nudge you. If we need nudge, we just observe, we take notes. So really you're like a coach out there along with your fellow brothers in, uh, as a JTAC. So it's really all we do. We go out there, we watch, we observe. If you need guidance, you give guidance. If there's no guidance, you just take notes, you bring it back and it helps build the next group that's going to come out. Um, things to do better, things to do worse. And so that's, it's kind of Groundhog Day. Day in and yeah. day out, every rotation is the same thing. Fort Irwin's a lovely place. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. The uh, Barstow is, a, I mean, for people that don't know, it's, <laughs> Fort Irwin's out in Barstow, but it's not really Barstow. It's 
Barstow right off of uh, the 15, I-15, and then probably, what, another 45 minutes from Barstow? It's 30 miles from Barstow out, just north into the desert. You just drive. And then you, it's like you come over this hill, and you hit this beautiful, you know, oasis of Fort Irwin. And it's just sitting out there, and then the whole training center is out there. So, yeah, it's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of training that goes on out there. I, I mean, a, a bunch. Uh, yeah. And if, if this is any, um, you know, indicator that you should probably join the Air Force or the Army. Um, and I don't know how true it is, so I'm just going to say it. And then, you know, everybody can make their mind up. But uh, if you are a certain distance, and I don't know what that distance is. If you are a certain distance, like a base uh, from a gas station, a 24-hour gas station, something like that, it is considered a, a remote tour kind of thing, right? So, um, and Fort Irwin was at that mile marker. Like it was too far away from Barstow, which was the closest gas station. So the army would have to pay the army and the air force would have to pay their people there extra money, um, which is obviously very expensive. So what they did <laughs> was they moved the welcome to Fort Irwin gate with yes. a sign up to the mile marker to like the cutoff of the mile marker to that gas station so that it was technically you were on the installation so that they wouldn't have to pay all the people uh, that extra stipend. Yeah. I'm not even mad. Yeah. I like the hustle. That's exactly, that's yeah. <laughs> when I heard about that, I thought it was a joke. And I was like, no, that's not true. And I, then it just kept going and we looked into it. And I'm like, okay, it's real. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the Air Force will just pay you. <laughs> yeah. Which the Army loves. That's crazy. <laughs> So, uh, so Josh, getting a little back on track. Sorry, I went off the rails with OC and <laughs> Sorry. NTC stuff. Sorry. <laughs> no, this is good learning, I think. Um, why, why TACP? You know, like I think we always have to start there, no matter how many times we cover it. But why TACP? And and what what was the juice about TACP that kept you around as long as it did? Uh, well, I originally came in like I'd say most folks as PJ. Uh, couldn't cut it. You know, so then I looked at TACP. It was another way I felt like to protect the force because I originally came in, looked to be a protector, you know, pararescue. But since that didn't pan out for me, uh, went over to TACP as a different way to protect because using close air support, you're essentially protecting the mission. Uh, it just looked really interesting to me. It's uh, very physically challenging, very physically demanding, which is what I wanted. I'm pretty sure we all have self-diagnosed ADHD. And so I needed a way to, to curb that and have a constant edge, a constant push. And the training facilitated that, um, the, you know, the two to three years at the time to become a JTAC facilitated that and then the deployment tempo. So it just, it just looked really fun and exciting, honestly, and being able to go and integrate with the army the way we do as a single man. At the time it was two, Rome had the JTAC, now it's just JTAC, but um, really just the excitement. It just looked fun. I just wanted a challenge. I wanted something that was not going to be easy. It was going to be hard and keep me on my toes daily. And it, that's what kept me around for 13 years. I was fortunate enough to come in when deployments were hot. So I was fortunate enough to do four combat deployments to Afghanistan, uh, a couple of contingency deployments. I don't really call them deployments the Air Force did, like to the Philippines and Korea. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd say I'm lucky because dudes nowadays that are coming in aren't getting deployments. They may now with, you know, as of two days ago, but <laughs> um, yeah. So that's, that's really what kept me around. I think it's just, it was interesting. It was fun. 
But you're a you're a post nine eleven. You said thirteen years, so you're post nine eleven, um, mm-hmm. and the the whole protector thing. But I mean, it takes a a certain type of person. Like it, it's one thing to come into the military when it's it's a post nine eleven kind of thing, and we have right. you know, two two three front conflicts going on, um, and you're in a non combat arms job. But it's a whole other one when you're a different mindset when you're coming in. You're like. I, I know that I'm going to deploy. I know that I'm yeah. going to see combat. Um, other than the kind of being a protector, like what, what was it inside your brain that kind of was like, <laughs> yes, this is, I, I know I want to be a protector, but I, I want to serve and I want to do this. I, since high school, like since high school, I just, I wanted like a bigger calling. I grew up doing construction with my dad. Uh, it was super fun. You know, it was nice working in, my, in the family business, but I just wanted something bigger and I've always saw the military as being something bigger and, you know, not to sound cliche, but I wanted to be like, serve the country. I wanted to do something that I knew was beyond my hometown of what like everybody just kind of goes and works at the power plant there and they make a lot of money. It's great, but I just wanted something different. I wanted to travel. So I knew I was going to go to combat. Um, was it scary? Yeah, like absolutely. Like any, any person who says it's not scary is in my opinion, an idiot. I mean, you need a little bit of that fear to keep you alive. And I looked forward to it because I wanted to do the job. We all train to do the job. And if I didn't deploy, you're not doing the job. So um, I I don't know, just this internal fire. I, I, I Yeah, it was, it was definitely like there's some fear, but not enough to keep me from wanting to deploy and wanting to join. So I just felt felt like the right thing. Yeah. It, okay. So you brought up your, your dad and I don't know your, your parent situation, but... Did you knowing the job you're going into, the time frame, um, like did you get much pushback from your parents or your friends or anything like that? Because that's one of the things that we we've taken phone calls on and DMs on is that, hey, you know, I really want to go do this, but my mom and dad or my my mom or whoever it is, my friends are telling me, dude, you're out of your mind. Don't go do that. That's crazy. Um, so did you get much support for it? You know, I did because I struggled, you know, a quick two minute synopsis. I struggled all the way from from birth until high school of school. I just really struggled with school, attention span. I was always out thrill seeking, riding my dirt bike, riding my mountain bikes. My parents knew that I was not going to be, you know, the normal college student. I, I tried to automotive trade school, just didn't work. Do, did construction my whole life. It's great, but I just needed more. I needed that. And they could I think they could sense that. So when I mentioned military at an early age, Obviously, any parents gonna be nervous. They're gonna be like, "Man, I don't want you to go to war. I don't want you to deploy." But, but they knew with me, like I, I started training in you know tenth grade, like hard self training myself, just because they know that's what I wanted to do. So th- there was a lot of support. Because I think they could, I think if you see that in your child, and I have two kids, another one on the way, and they're young. But if you can see that in your son or your daughter, that that's something they want to do, and they're really putting in all their effort, and they're not. It's not just like a hasty decision. I feel like I would be supportive as a, as a father and my parents certainly were to me. So um, they knew the passion was there. So they were all, they were all about it. They were sad for sure, but they're all about it. Okay. Uh, that's it's gotta be hard yeah. as a parent, you know, like I, you know, my boys at the age where all he does is run around and everything's a gun and he's shooting everybody in the face, you know, in the back of my <laughs> brain, I'm always like, <laughs> how, how do I make this not like, you know, don't be like me, kid. Like do something else, but you know, like kids are kids, and he's gonna do what yeah. he does. But totally, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, but um, 
as, as you go from that, uh, that, Oh, actually I want to talk about first the, the pipeline a little bit. I know, uh, I don't want to spend the whole time on your pipeline, but there, there's this conception or this, this view out there sometimes that, you know, indoc for, for sure is, is difficult, but the TACP pipeline, like what were the difficult parts and, and how did you get through that? Um, so me coming from Indoc and, you know, drowning every day, like most people, and then <laughs> drowning my way out of that into, into TACP, uh, that, that set my physical pain threshold a lot higher, which was cool. So coming to TACP, it, it helped me. It was like, a, I was like, oh man, sweet, I, I'm on land, I have all the air I need. But the one thing I challenged with was rucking. I never grew up rucking. Um, so, so rucking was really, really hard for me. I just, I didn't train for that. Putting a lot of weight in your back, you know, at the time it was with everything 80 plus pounds and you're doing the 12 mile ruck, et cetera. So I think for me, it was that, that mental state of you have weight on your back. You can't take it off. You have to finish like you're on, a, like you're on a mission. You have to get to the objective. I really struggled with that. I always finished in the back of the pack. I finished, but I was always in the back and rucking. And so I had to really like kickstart my mental fortitude and like train and get better at that. So that way I didn't just suck because all of my dudes would start and they take off sprinting, whether we we're doing the actual rock or it was just moving to and from the pits down in Florida. Um, I was always the dude in the back because I was like, man, this rock sucks. And it was a mental thing. I just would beat myself up. I was feeling sorry for myself, you know, ah, it's, it's too heavy. I hate it. But, um, but then looking left and right and seeing your brothers sucking just as bad as you is what helps. And that's what, that's when the jokes come out. You start having a good time laughing. You start bitching and griping to each other. That really makes everything better. Like it's not complaining. It's just it, it puts everybody in an even playing field, so you don't feel like you're the idiot sucking over here. You guys are all sucking together. I, lo- I love it. So. He said for uh, shared sucking, yeah, communal sucking. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. It's I, yeah. I don't think we should put that on a t-shirt. I don't know if that'd go over well. <laughs> communal sucking. I'm thinking a hat. New, new logo. A communal sucking. You know. I don't see it being a bad thing. <laughs> this is going off the rails. Yeah, no, I mean, I, real I, fast. That's what happens when you have a TACP on here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. They're not the ones you bring home to mom and dad. That's the TACP motto. <laughs> no, I, I do remember, though, being at, at AST and seeing the, the graves out there, I think is what you guys called them, your little pits that the, you'd PT the in. The pits, the graves, yeah. And uh, it was funny because yeah. for us, sometimes, like, we'd be going in, and I'd be sore or whatever, but, you know, AST is not wasn't that hard. Uh, and we'd look over at what the TACP guys were going through and we'd be like, well, at least we're not over there, you know? Yeah, and I, exactly. And, they, and everybody has it hard and it's not like we're any harder than anybody else at certain stages, but it did suck down there in the swampy Florida, the sand, all in every parts of your body. And, you know, it was, it was a different beast for me being a California boy going to that climate. Ooh. It was tough. <laughs> yeah. It's rough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was rough. Just so, but then slapped right in the face with humidity. Oh, oh that's God. great. I was just like, what is this stuff? It's so hot here. Like, if 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 yeah. no one's ever talked about drowning on land, like that's what it feels like. The first time you go down there and you try to do a three mile run that you've done in like a dry climate, and then you go down to Florida and like you can barely see because the fog hits in the morning, and then you try to run, you're just like, I don't. This cuts minutes <laughs> off my time. It's insane. Yeah. And then you jump in the water thinking it's going to relieve you, and it's bath water. And nope. Like, <laughs> nope. You just gets hotter. Yeah. So you, yeah. you you go from that rescue mindset, you came in wanting to rescue people, and then you go to TACP, you make it through the pipeline, and then you start vaporizing people with uh, explosives. 
you know how how, how did that go in your, in your in your mind was it everything you wanted it to be and uh challenges overseas and all that other kind of stuff yeah it was so i i looked at it with a different mindset i didn't look at it going in like rambo uh, i don't think you you should or you should, i don't think you should go into the job or any job in combat i'm gonna kill people i don't know that's just my mindset so i looked at it as like protecting people yes you have to kill people to protect others but I looked at it as a protector role. So if I don't do my job right by coordinating proper close air support, then I don't get the mission is not complete and I'm not protecting the force. So in a way, I kept that rescue mindset and it just brought it right over. And I'm still in the rescue, you know, saving people's lives mindset. It's just what I wanted to do. And I believe that's what I did. And so I, that was the mindset I took. Some people take the other mindset. They just want to be, you know, mercenaries and go out there and just kill all the bad dudes. So that's that's okay that's just their opinion that's mine so um it helped me a lot they made it a lot of fun because it was very challenging um as as you know like peaches you know going into being a jtac there's a lot a lot that goes into it a lot more than i thought it's just communicating with aircraft and artillery and it's it's very detailed so it's, it's hard challenging all the way up to 13 years i mean still i'm in the guard I'm still learning every day and you forget things real quick i mean i've been out 10 months and i'm just a normal guard bum so things dwindle real quick. <laughs> so I got to stay sharp. Yeah, just just imagine when you're the squadron SEL. Yeah, yeah <laughs> things right. atrophy. Yeah. Things atrophy real quick. Realize that when I went to it, when I went to Shaw shooting with uh, some of the guys, and I was like, oh boy, I'm I'm really rusty. <laughs> this yeah. is embarrassing. Yeah, right. this is a rifle still, right? Is this how it works? Yeah, yeah. I can hold this damn thing. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, it it the the JTAC thing is an interesting concept in my mind just because and i didn't really notice it until i was with and i actually can't say i can't say the organization but um and they, they're the ones that actually helped me realize the importance of of a jtac and it's that you could you could make the argument okay is the mission the and i'm, I'm just going to use a generic thing like is the mission the objective that the oda is hitting or is the say it's a presence patrol, right? We're going to a movement to contact, you know, ODA is going to go out and they've got a, a TACP controller, JTAC qualified, right? And they're going to go out and they're just going to do a, a patrol around a certain area, right? Is the goal of that to, um, is, is the ODA the mission or is the JTAC the mission when it's a movement to contact? Because you could make the argument and this organization, this team helped me helped me realize this because they anytime we got in a fight, no kidding, they would they would surround me and ensure that I was protected because I had the radio, mm -hmm. I had the aircraft in the air, and they would no kidding. I mean, they would because JTACs, as you guys know, and Trent, I'm sure you've been on the OP and you've seen it, but JTACs have a, a habit of of picking up as they're talking, they're on the. They're just sitting here walking around, right? They're walking yeah. around, and and to, there's, to there's gain bullets situational flying. awareness. Yeah, yeah. They lose all situational, situational awareness, awareness to yep. gain it. It's weird. You gotta grab yeah. Pull them back. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like, oh, aircraft in. I'm I'm standing up now. I'm looking. I'm looking, and all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, there's just rounds going by, and it takes somebody to scrap. Hey, you need to get cover, buddy. <laughs> like you know, and um, man, I went off the rails on that one. <laughs> But like, <laughs> but so protection because of the mass of firepower and the 
the ability to bring in numerous aircraft with numerous capabilities, like that radio, that capability is what the mission is. I would make that argument. I don't know. I'm interested to see what, see what you think. No, I mean, we're the, we are the force multiplier as a JTAC. Like we're not the most important dude in the battlefield. That's we're not at all, not even close, but we're, we're a very, very large asset to the mission because the ground commander, all the army folks, Marines, Navy, whoever you're with, whatever team you're with or conventional, the menu, the mission doesn't happen unless we have air support, especially nowadays. You know, so you have to have air support. You have to have rotary wing, which the army can control. You know, there's, that's a different conversation, but um, out on the battlefield, we, <laughs> we need the army to focus on what they're doing. And then they trusted us as JTACs to focus on what we're doing, which is the sky and watching the surrounding area, the perimeters. So that way the mission can continue. So, yep. yeah, I, no one is more important than the other, but when, when shit hits the fan, like you were saying, Peaches, and stuff becomes real serious, most of the time, everybody looks at the JTAC and they're like, they're like, hey, especially the ground commander. Hey, what do we have? What are you doing? What are you looking at? You know, and most of the time, like the reactive instinct is just, JTAC, I need bombs. And we're like, all right, take a breath. Let's calm down. We have guns, shoot back. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it is a collaborative effort between, you know, the teams, the conventional force and us. Uh, but we do play a huge pivotal role in the, the comfort of the ground troops because they know that if we're there. They're watched by, you know, the jets in the sky and that we're, we're good at what we do because we, they trust in us and we provide that confidence in them that or confidence in us that we can do our job. So, um, yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's definitely not, the question. no, it did. And it's definitely not a, one is more important than the other. That is not, uh, that's not what I mean at all. It's just, it's interesting, yeah. like the importance of that radio and that capability is there and it is totally. recognized by people that have whenever they have been in a troops and contact situation that's been quite hairy like that's important and the, the whole uh, yeah. i mean as soon as somebody says you know hey rounds away or you know incoming 30 seconds or something like that you know we we, we say it over the radio so that the whole team hears it or maybe we're screaming it whatever it is yeah and then all that ka, 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 just kind of stops and everybody starts looking up, yeah, because because they, they want to see your freaking Hellfire or a Maverick or whatever. They want to see some yeah. guns coming in. And they're looking, and right. for whatever reason, they lay off that trigger instead of just sitting there laying waste to it. it it's I mean, funny. It's it happens. Yeah, it happens every time. Yeah. Every yeah, time. Yeah. And look at the morale. The morale boost when a when a JTAC is able to do his job or her job now. Um, the morale boost. Everybody gets like fired up, like hell yes, we have help, you know, so the, the jets come in or the, the, whatever it is that comes in and provides support, it is a huge morale boost in the battlefield. If you took that away and just relied on our small arms and we we're fighting an enemy with a much larger gun, it'd be a different type of morale, in my opinion. Yep. No, so, I yeah. completely agree. Um, yeah. So the guard is a dirty little secret, right? <laughs> um, everybody seems to be really happy over there. Uh, not that nobody's happy over an active duty, but it's definitely like you, you guys and girls are a different breed when, as soon as you transition over to the guard or maybe you go guard. So what is it about the guard that, that like kind of just pulled you right in? So uh, through my four deployments, I was always had a guard, uh, guard dude with me. And every time, like what you just said, 
I'm like, what are you guys, what are you guys doing over there? What are you eating over there? What's, what's, so, what, what's so great about the guard? And so learning over the years. And then in short, like the guard is essentially more like a business than what I, what I mean by that is like you could do AGR active duty. You could do DSG, which is traditional, which is what I am, just a guard bone. Um, and you could do a civilian job. So you could do whatever you want to do, which is like what I do. But you still get to go have fun and be a JTAC and play war, as I call it, you know, every every three months. So that was very intriguing to me since day one. And you can live wherever you want. And you could travel to your guard unit, do your drill uh, or your, your your training time. And then you go back home. You fly home. I mean, there's dudes that live in Hawaii, across the East Coast. It doesn't matter. So a lot of that was so intriguing to me because I can get my family. I have a wife and two kids. And we're you know from Washington State. Um is where she's from, so we wanted to move back here. So for me, the 116th ASOS is here. It's right next to JBLM, right across the street. And so the the desire to be a guardsman, not lose the TACP, JTAC certification, still be able to have fun, but be able to live the life that we couldn't necessarily live or dream to live in active duty because you don't have a choice where you live and you're you're bouncing around all the time and the stress of deployments that just pop up. You know, my my poor wife that She's dealt with it for the last you know, eight years that we've been married. Um, <clears throat> that was the biggest draw to me. And then it's just the last deployment in 2019, Afghanistan. It was, I don't know. I don't know if you want to get into deployment stuff, the, the why I transitioned. Like that was like my solidifying answer. It was, it was way too much politics that went involved or went into being a JTAC. So, you know, it, a lot of it was in the talk now. And we still got to go outside the wire, but it was a lot of talk stuff, which was still just as difficult and it's very fun. But there was so much legality in that versus, and I don't think we should just be cowboys, but to, to do any sort of precision strike or any sort of anything, you had a JAG officer sitting like literally right behind you. You had the TIA up over here, which is the target engagement authority. He was super cool, but there's just so much and it became so annoying because you couldn't do your job the way you wanted to. It wasn't so much you see a bad dude He's running towards friendlies, you get rid of them. It wasn't that easy anymore. So a lot of those frustrations, a lot of personal stuff, just with deployments, family, it was just it was just taking a toll on us. And it was taking a toll on me and, and my mental state. And I I checked out on my deployment. I didn't notice it. My wife noticed it. And she so for me it was really saving like my family and getting getting out and getting to somewhere where I could, I could have control again. So the guard guys on my deployment, um, I think they're at the 169th ASOS. Remember right? Yep. Uh, yeah, up there in Peoria, Illinois, is that right? I think, yeah. No, now, see, now you're, now you're going to, I know the 169th, now I'm going to sit here and go, like, yeah, 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 it's yeah, Peoria. I'm pretty sure it's, I'm pretty sure you I don't know, like, completely, I'm new, I don't know all the guard stuff, but whatever <laughs> happens in Peoria, Illinois, Ben, you guys had Ben Grazer on, he's up there. Oh, Ben, dude. Yeah. Oh, Ben, yeah. man, that dude's awesome. Ben's, a, he, he and I were at the fifth ASOS growing up together, he's a, he's a really good dude, so. Um, yeah, he is. Super smart. Yeah, very, very smart. So Tyler Hurley, he was one of the guardsmen up there, and he was on my deployment. <clears throat> He's the one that, like, saved me and, like, really helped give me the motivation to go guard and show me what it's like. So, um, yeah, that was my final decision. It was, like, the straw that broke the camel's back, that deployment. It was just a lot of tough stuff happened. Uh, family stuff was happening. I left when my youngest son was four weeks old. So at a four-week-old, I was coming back to, like, meeting my son again, and it was just hard. So yeah. a lot of those things, I didn't want to just ditch the military. I, I love this job, but I needed a break. I needed to slow it down. I needed to get out and go to the guard. So the guard is the answer. I mean, and the guard is, a, is an impressive organization. I didn't really know. I thought it was going to be kind of just 
yeah, you come in and do this, but like they train hard. They show up to the 116th and those those AGR folks over there, then they plan, they plan like crazy. So that way we show up and do our training. I mean, everything's lined up and everything's just, you you come in, lay the hammer down, then you high five and you go back to your normal job. So it's, it's just super fun. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to hop in here real quick, Trent, just because I, I want, need some clarification. Um, what do you define as a guard bum? Like you, you said it twice now. So like, what do you, what is that? It might be my own term, but I've heard it used. No, so no, it's, guard... it's not. <laughs> so I was like, I don't, yeah, no, definitely heard it. Uh, a guard bum is essentially someone who's not full-time guard. And I guess one of two things, just doing DSG, which I can't remember what DSG stands for. It's just going in for the drills. It used to be, traditionally it's once a month, but we do, I think they call it like super muta. It's every three months. We do six days every three months. And then you essentially have three months off. So guard bum is someone who just comes in and does the time and leaves, or it's someone that comes in and then they, they jump on uh, TDYs and orders randomly. So they're just kind of bumming time, if you will. So you, you call the command to the chief, like, hey, I need, I'm looking for some extra days or whatever. I need extra days. And they'll put you on orders and you go into TDY or you come in the office to do some training. That's that's like a guard bum. You just kind of bum in time. So, Pick and choose. Yeah, so weird. Yeah. It's, and it's the beauty of being a guard. And it's I'm still learning. It's I'm definitely still learning this, but it is. You can kind of pick and choose. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, as a as a, a self-described guard hater. I have to say, like the 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 happiness of the guard people drives me insane. But like when you say stuff like I don't know what DSG means, I'm like, bro, like you're the guard guy. Like we get so many questions. I get DMs all the time that are like, hey, in the guard, and I'm like, I have to. I, I feel like I'm being rude to people, but I'm like, I don't know anything about the guard. Like when I meet guard folks, it's like you said, it's a train up or we're downrange, and then we all just do the same job. But I, I will say, I, I don't think I've ever had a a guard guy around that was like woefully inept or anything, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So like, it was always confusing to me how like you guys can do the, uh, the, the guard bum lifestyle and still show up downrange ready to go, you know, where I'm like, so, so you, this is all I do. The answer to that. All right. So, so like, yeah, so I mean, <laughs> you know, you're absolutely right. So the, the true answer to that, cause when I met Tyler <clears throat> downrange, Tyler Hurley, he showed up and I was like, dude, how, how are you so squared away as a guardsman? I was thinking the same thing. I was like, dude, he's like, He's one of the smartest dudes I've met. He's really, really good at what he does. And I'm sure Tyler was going to listen to this and text me and be like, hey, thanks. Man. <laughs> Amigo, but, um, it's because, like, in my belief, you do it every now and then instead of um, you're just drowned in active duty all the time. I, I mean that term loosely, but you're in active duty all the time, being a JTAC all the time. So it becomes, like, complacent. You're just like, eh, do some training here and there. But in the guard, when you come in every three months or whenever your time is, you're motivated because you come out of a desk job or whatever job you're doing the civilian and then they have training set up and you get to come like play war for four to five days so you come in with everything you got you get to train and have fun and you learn a lot and you're motivated and then the next time you come back you're fired up and motivated versus at active duty you know a lot of folks it's like a training event comes up and it's easier for you to be like oh man i got this the medical thing or whatever it is i'm gonna get the next one and then you could like, skip an event, skip a jump, skip a CASX or whatever it is. And the guard, everybody's all in on every one. So that's my belief of like guard 
most of the time is really good when they show up is because there's just high value of motive or high motivation in the job. That makes sense. They're not, they're not grinding as much. And I don't want to make active duty sound awful because obviously I'm, no, I'm still not sitting awful. in it. Yeah. But, uh, so, uh, so you joined the guard. No, uh, that's all good. <laughs> Take offense to that. Easy, easy. Everybody activity is the way to go. Don't be happy in the guard. That's stupid. Um, so you, you have a civilian job now. So it's, it's funny. Like I, I yeah. said in the very beginning, I, uh, uh, one of my guys linked me up with you, uh, for reasons. So your, your civilian job is still loosely connected to the military. It seems like no matter what you do, you're always going to stay connected. So, um, what, what, what is your civilian job? Yeah, so I always want to stay connected because I do love the military and I love what we did. So uh, my civilian job, I work at a company called Massif, or Massive, as most people pronounce it, as I pronounced it, uh, M-A-S-S-I-F. And I got corrected when I when I was getting hired, and it's, it's pretty funny. I was, like, eating my own foot. They're like, you know, it's Massif. And I'm like, yeah, totally. I knew that. Uh, I was so testing we're, you. We're, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's <laughs> um, – so it's a it's – a, fabric company that we develop um flame resistant clothing jackets you know like the the elements jacket is like the i mean it's a good one you're wearing there trent looks and peaches your shirt looks pretty legit man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we're a company that uh develops flame resistant clothing for the military everything from base layers underwear up to t-shirts long underwear uh, jackets outerwear heavy elements jackets big puffy Arctic jackets. So we make non-FR stuff too, which means non-flame resistant. So I'm a guy hired on as a sales rep. So military sales rep for the Air Force side, using all of my expertise so my 13 years that I've gathered and, and counting in the guard. So um, what I get to do is I get to travel around and, and meet our own folks in our community and the pilot community, security forces, everybody in the Air Force, and just basically advertise what Massif does what Massif has to offer if they don't already know and just like provide stoke to the community and, and sales. So uh, I'm not like a door to door salesman. Hey, buy this jacket so my kids can eat like it doesn't look like that. People think if I walk in, they're like, oh, man, I can't buy that jacket. I'm like, well, I'm not going to sell you this jacket. Like I'm here just to talk <laughs> about the company. So um, it's, it's cool. So it's like a brand ambassador kind of where you get to go and we just get to show off the gear and provide, you know, excellent gear that I truly believe in to the, the now the customers, which I still am a customer, but but you folks. So um, I guess that's kind of the broad strokes of what Massif does. And so we do large contract sales. We sell fabric to the military and we also sell garments. Like we just make garments like what you guys are wearing there, like the reversible jacket um, and all the way down to base layers. And we provide an excellent protection for the whole fighting force. And it's we're huge in the pilot community because of our jacket, that big elements jacket. And then now we're getting into the non-FR space, like for SOCOM and AFSOC, which with the reversible you're wearing, the jungle uniforms that you guys that you guys know of. So it's, it's a super fun company. Like we're very diverse and we're growing. We're getting stronger and being so strong in the military is what kept me in this community because I get to help out my own folks and see the difference that I can make now on the outside while also still being in uh, in the guard. So it's it's kind of the best of both worlds. And yeah. Yeah, and and there's a, one other piece that I want to talk about, not necessarily about the company, but I just wanted to highlight that that's what you're doing um, in, your, in your civilian time. Uh, but I know you and I talked on the phone about this. Is we get the question a lot, like, "Hey, after 
you know, people always want to plan for the eventualities. After I am a, a special warfare person and I have a, a career, whether it be, you know, six years or 13 years, 20 years, what can I do when I get out? And I, I know what I say all the time, but I just want to hear your take from the civilian sector side. <clears throat> What's available for folks yeah. once they uh, once they get out? So that's so that was the thing I went through. So uh, my transition process started on that deployment. I was about a year and some change out, which is the timeline I recommend to everybody. If you're going to get from active duty to guard or just get out if you're retiring, plan at least a year out. Start networking. Start communicating. Because our skills translate. Like I used to think, oh, I can I can't drop bombs for a tech company like outside of the military. I can't I can't go downtown Tacoma and you know coordinate airstrikes. That's all I can do, you know. But it's now being out. It's much bigger than that. Where all the critical thinking skills, the crisis action planning, the the management of aircraft, airspace, folks, or, uh, personnel, artillery, whatever it is. That management translates really, really well and really strongly to the private sector where companies look for us. Like I get in and I mean, my job here, I'm managing myself with Massif and my section of the sales team. And I have to manage contacts, other companies, distribution companies. Excuse me. So that is where all of us, everybody in special warfare, controller, SR, PJ, TACP, here. We all have built management skills, and that's something that we all overlook, right? I didn't think that. So when I was looking into companies, I was a year out, like, <clears throat> I was like, everybody says, oh, there's so many jobs for you. And I'm expecting this, this beautiful list to drop in front of me and just pick one. And someone goes, hey, Josh, hey, come on over here, man. We got a job for you. But that doesn't exist. Like, you still have to go out there and find it. You got to fight for it. But we have a lot of skills that translate, and it's... It's the civilian sectors like this, like this big market that I'm in now, this industry that sees that and knows that. And I'd say like 90% of the folks in this industry that I'm in now are military or prior military because of this mm -hmm. stuff. We know how to communicate. We have contacts everywhere. You know, we we're very disciplined. I mean, it's, it's you name it, it's a list of things. So, but to find exactly what you want to do is kind of up to you. You have to just. Yeah, you have to just look. You have to, it's, it's hard. Like, that's a hard answer. I didn't know either. Like, when I was getting out, I was terrified. I have, I have two little kids, had a wife, and I was giving up 13 years. I was on deployment. I had a tax-free bonus of $100,000 cash sitting right in front of me. Just full disclosure. So this is how much I wanted to get out. And I was like, I, I can't take that. I need to get out. And people were like, dude, like, it's just so my family was that important to me. It still is. And so... I started that transition and I needed to get out. So um, I just started looking, I, I was lost. I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I knew about Massif. I didn't know they had sales reps at the time. I started talking with friends and then getting in contact with them. And then just honestly, just do what we do best as JTACs, as SR folks, you just talk to people, just reach out, reach out to your senior leaders. Um, Peaches, I know you know Dave Bickle. He's he's a he's, he's a saint. I mean, he's the worst. I mean, he's a beautiful. And I hope man. you're listening. I hope you're listening to this. Yeah. I mean, you look at that beautiful jawline of his. It's <laughs> Chiseled. Um, yeah, but D Dave was he was my senior, so he was a he was our op soup at the squadron at the 14th ASOS, and he helped me immensely. Just the confidence, and just <clears throat> reaching out to him because he got out before me. <clears throat> so to answer your question, Trent, you have to just utilize the resources you have. Don't burn bridges at an early age. 
And the day you get in, just start communicating because one day you're going to get out. Like whether you're retiring as you two are going to, or like me, you want to get out 13 years, you want to look back and be like, I had a blast in active duty and I know a lot of people. So how can those people help me get out? Because Dave helped me a ton. He helped me with the, the confidence to get out because um, it is terrifying. Don't anybody listen to this podcast? Yes, it is terrifying to get out of active duty. I did it with two little kids and a wife. Very possible. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And in fact, when I left Fort Bragg, I was driving across the country and did not have a guaranteed job with Masif. I was in the guard. That was, you know, I'd say easy. Uh, Chief Quisenberry over there, who I was with, and he's back at the 14th or the 5th. I know you know him, Peaches. He, mm-hmm. he helped me out a lot and he got me in, but I was just a traditional guardsman. So I'm driving across the country. Wife and two kids are here in Washington, and I don't have a full time job, but that's the leap of faith that I took. And I just believe that sometimes you have to leap. You got you to do what you feel is right. And I, that's what I did. And then the day I got to Washington, state like literally hours after is when i got a call from masif and got a job offer after uh interviewing with all of them and going through all the steps like it wasn't just given to me i still had to communicate for the last year or so but um it it all worked out so that to me gave me the the belief that that sometimes the leap of faith is what you need to do you just need to jump yeah it's you know whether you're doing 13 years or you're you know in your 23rd year like me like you do, you can get institutionalized because you get not, it's not a, a comfortable thing because, you know, I'm, I'm big on staying uncomfortable, but um, I mean, you do, you, you know, I've got a paycheck coming in every two weeks. Like that's, that's what I got, you know? Um, So in a way it's, it's good. And in another way you can fall into a level of, comfortability and and then you stop right and then you stop you know grinding um luckily for me the i i can't just kind of get comfortable i i care my my only weakness is that i care too much but that's not (laughs) what i mean right that's not what i'm going at but um i i I guess it's probably an ego thing for me is like i just uh i have too much ego and pride in myself to to get comfortable but um yeah I think taking that that leap and going into the unknown and almost at a point being scared uh, actually kind of helps you because you you stay sharp. You're in a in more of a a proactive survival mode. I mean, I, I was just I don't know if you know Jared Cavanaugh, but yeah. um, you know, a show a few weeks, uh, months ago. Yeah, so great dude, uh, retired soft tech P. Um, mm-hmm got out and I, and we were just talking on the phone uh, a couple of days ago, a couple of weeks ago, whatever it was. And, and he was, I, I asked him the same thing, you know, just as a, as a bro level. And he's like, dude, you have no idea. He goes, you guys and, and we, the collective aspect war in the soft community. And I know Sean Matson even said this on the, on the Carter Max episode, but like we have a, an ingrained set of skills that it's, it's tough to put a, put a finger on it and, 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 you know, go, this is what it is, but it's just all of these, whether it's the pipeline, whether it's going down range, whether it's um, just purposely putting yourself in difficult situations and coming out on top or failing like the, the, yeah. the success in failing is huge and it teaches you a lot. And all of that, even though you don't realize it at the time will help you on your, 
help you during your transition and outside on whatever it is you want to do, whether you're, you want to go the entrepreneur route, whether you want to go work for a company like Massive or, or Harris or Viasat or Boeing, whoever it is, um, like it, it, it all helps you in that communication skills, that networking skills, that, um, that grit, you know, that's, that's huge. How do you put a, how do you measure grit? I don't know that you, you can, but that is ingrained in every single one of us. And we'll just go out there and grind it out. That's a good example of that right there of when I got hired. So they asked that almost that big, big question. So Kevin Carpenter is my senior director at SEAF. He's a 19 special forces group army guy. Uh, he was active and got out. And one of the things during my interview asked me, um, he knows what a JTAC is, but I remember him asking me, he was like, is your car like during the, one of the hour long interviews, you go into a room, you're, you're the dude by yourself as a massive sales rep. You walk onto a base, you walk into a squadron. How comfortable are you? He's like, it's a hypothetical question. You get hired. And for me, it was like an easy answer because I was like <laughs> trying to joke with him, but I didn't know how serious the interview was. You know, he's, he's now he's a super funny guy. Like you can joke about what joke with him. But uh, I was like, well, I mean, Essentially, like a JTAC is kind of like you're sticking a dick in the birthday cake. Like you just, you're the weird dude in the middle and no one knows who you are until you explain why you're there. Sorry if that was too, too vulgar for this, but it's just the, <laughs> so I, I told him, I said, I walk into a room and every, every head turns and looks at me as a, as a JTAC, you open the door to, to a new battalion, new company. And then you know, most of the time it's like, who the fuck are you? And you're like, yeah. Uh, hey guys, um, my name is Josh. I'm a JTAC. I like long walks on the beach. You know, you, you give your, you, you give your elevator pitch, right? At who you are, what you do. Even if they do know you, they want to know who you are. And so when mm -hmm. I, when I told Kevin this during my interview, I like laid out an example of me walking into a new company or on a deployment when we're, we're not aligned all the time. Sometimes we're augmented in. So you show up downrange to a real war and I have to sell myself to this company to on a mission that we're about to go out on or run from the talk. And I explained this to him and he was like, oh yeah. I was like, so as a sales rep walking into a room, I'm gonna be very comfortable. And that's not an arrogance thing. That's just, that's what we were trained to do. So for 13 years or how many years you're in our job, we are trained to go in and like sell ourselves and just be provide the confidence of what we can provide to the end user as an SR guy, a controller, a TACP, a PJ, whoever it is. So. Those are the skills right there that I didn't even know I had until he asked me that question. I explained it to him and then it was like a light bulb in my head. And he was like, oh, yeah, dude, I mean, that makes total sense. And it, and it does. I walk into a room now as a sales rep and I'm, I'm super comfortable. I'm not nervous because I've done it for so many years in much more stressful environments. I, I, that, I'm sorry, Trent, go ahead. No, I'm, I just I, I hit on this all the time about how unique our community is. Like we don't go two people deep, you know, there's not two Bravos that we send out to attach to another team. It's we send a JTAC or a PJ or an SR guy, you know, like right. one guy at a time to go integrate with this team. And like you said, when things go wrong and that skill set's required, that, that dude could be an E4. And then the captain and the E9, everybody's looking at that person to be like, solve this problem right now. And so our guys have been dealing with that since they were E4s, E5s, like their first rotation, it's like, it's all on you right now. Make a decision, go. And um, anyway, like, I just, 
that's like my thing. I always talk about it is, is how early on our people are expected to be leaders and make decisions that are well beyond their rank. To, and uh, to people who are generals and you're as an E3 and you're looking at this general and you're like, Hey, sir, I recommend we do this. And he looks down at you like, do what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but just like, you know, that's what we're, this is what yeah. I do. So, I, um, yeah, so that is, do you guys don't like want to talk about like how you transition the guard? Or is that not really? Yeah. No, I don't want to get it... active duty. I don't want to get active duty going over to guard. No, <laughs> I, didn't, not... I meant like the question. I meant the call-ins. You guys said you had a bunch of call-in questions. <laughs> no, I actually yeah, had one more. Stay active duty. One more piggyback on that thing is is okay. in my career I've noticed some of the things like when you talk about being the OC at Fort Irwin. Um, some of the, the ex, uh, assignments I've had that I looked at the time as the worst assignment I could possibly get, like going to AATC for the first time. I'm like, this is miserable yeah. and I hate this. And looking back, the things that I learned through that process really set me up for, for a lot of interesting opportunities. And so now that you're on the outside and you're a sales rep and all those other things, I imagine some of those skill sets that you were forced to pick up uh, during that time have, have paid uh, dividends. Oh, totally. Because I mean, I, as an OC, I met everybody in the career field. I met most people in different countries, career fields that came in. Like there's three British JTACs that I still talk to to this day from OCs or from being out there at Fort Irwin. And we, we still bullshit all the time about mountain biking, working out, whatever. Um, and then everybody in the career field. I mean, I you put me at an ASOS and I'm pretty sure I've met one, at least one person because they've come through Fort Irwin. And so those the skill sets definitely translates. And I learned a lot from there and I don't regret one second of active duty. I wouldn't take one day back because it's gotten me to where I am now. And it gave me the skill sets and the strength to, to go to the guard, to do what I'm doing on the outside. So don't, don't take one second of active duty for granted when you're in, if you want to go to the guard, that's great. That's, you know, but don't, don't just check out of active duty because active duty is still our career field. Like I still work, you know, with active duty folks. If, if I just piece out an active duty, and I joined the guard, I'm like, oh, thank goodness. I don't have to deal with them anymore. And then I look over my shoulder and all my dudes are right there on a TDY. And I'm like, damn it. You know, so <laughs> don't, so don't do that. If you're going to come over, that's fine, but don't burn bridges work up until the last day on active duty and continue your worth. You know, don't, don't get complacent. Don't just check out. That's the worst thing you can do. And I, I know a lot of dudes have been like, oh, I'm getting out, going to the guard, going to college. I'm out. And they just kind of like, just want to float by and check out, but don't ever burn a bridge. I know you got, that's a cliche statement, but. Yeah, yeah that's true though. You know, like that's yeah. uh, the, the, the community, the relationships are everything. So you, you were right though, Josh, I think, uh, uh, Peach and I are texting back and forth, trying to decide what to talk about every once in a while. The, the, the process to become a guardsman, whether it's uh, off the street or active duty to, to guard, we do get a lot of those questions and they're always asking us like, Hey, how do I join this ASOS or this RQS or whatever? And I'm like, I have, I have no idea. You have to contact the unit or something. But if you could just walk it, walk us through uh, what that <clears> process looks like and answer some of those questions that I don't know the answers to. Yeah, for sure. So off the streets, I, there's going to be some stuff I don't know because I didn't come off the streets to the guard. But as active, active duty from the guard, I, I'm pretty sure it's, it's got to be the same. So active duty guard, the first thing you're going to do is, well, one, figure out where you want to go, like what guard unit, and then contact that guard unit. If you 
somehow contact somebody in the crew for everybody knows everybody and just have a conversation. Hey, but, but how do I do that? Are you telling me that there's information on the internet that would like lead me down that path to contact that person? There's this thing, I think it's called Google or Google or something like that. Well, there is, we do, you can, you can hit us up and I do have a, a distro of all of the guard just throwing it out there, but it does take time. Like if you're expecting an immediate answer and it's been five days since you've heard anything like, yeah, we're a little busy. Um, I look, you could I mean, you, use like the you old guys Google have lives, machine. you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's why I say start a year out because everything takes time. If you're trying to contact one dude like Peaches, it takes five days to respond. If you're a year out, you're like, okay, I got time. But if you're trying to do it two weeks out, yeah, you're an idiot. Like, don't, don't do that. So uh, reach out. Yeah, reach out to Peaches. You guys here at One's Ready. Uh, you can reach out to me. I don't know everybody, but I know some people and just find out an ASOS you want to go to. And the next step is to find an in-service recruiter. So I didn't know this, but there's a recruiter to, that's in active duty that will get you out of active duty. And then you have to contact the guard recruiter that pulls you from the in-service recruiter. I don't make these rules. Very confusing. So <laughs> there, it's, it's called an in-service recruiter. You contact them. They do all your paperwork. They'll do it all for you. It's actually really easy. It just takes time. So again, plan a year out. They will contact the guard recruiter, the ASOS you want to go to. That guard recruiter starts talking transfer paperwork. And then you figure out when you want to get out. If it's palace chase, which means you end your service early and you get the guard. Or palace front, it means there's no break in service and you get to the guard uh, right when your, your contract ends. Um, so it's, that's, that's the easy answer, but the in-service recruiter and the guard recruiter will talk about all the paperwork, all the medical screening, all the process you need to do before you transfer over. So um, big thing with the guard is if you're getting out of active and you're just jacked up and you have all kinds of medical issues, think about that because the guard still has to accept you. Like the inspector general still has to look at you and make sure he's taken over a healthy, healthy person to the guard. Not saying they won't take you, but if you're like almost about to get medically retired and you want to join the guard, you're probably not going to get in because the the IG is not going to, you know, the, the surgeon general or I don't remember who the what the office is. I can't. I'm brain farting, but they're going to look at you and be like, "Hey, man, sorry, but you're <laughs> you're one twig, twig away from snapping right now." So <laughs> <laughs> you're saying that they don't want to hire me just to walk me through my med board on the guard side. That's weird. It's almost like there's something free chicken isn't really a thing, you know? Like yeah. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Um, so that so from the streets, I think you would just contact the guard recruiter directly. You obviously don't need an in-service recruiter because you're on the streets. So that's that's the process. It's pretty simple. It just takes time. Like you just have to plan far out. And you have to also tie that with your civilian side, whatever you want to do, and, and look into that. But it is scary. So like when you go through it. And you're like, oh, man, this is, this is not easy. No, no matter how much help you get, it's, it's not easy. You know, no, it's still you, a big. You also got to make sure that you're physically ready to go, too, because um, not, yes. that you, not that you need to be at, like, some kind of pipeline standards or anything like that. But if you, if you call and contact the 169th or whatever it is, you know, and they're going to go, actually, man, hey, we're doing a a little PT session next week. Why don't you stop on by? You know, um, you're, that's your, guess what? That may, that may not be your interview, 
but that's your pre that's your pre screening because they want to see who you are, what you're like. Because if they hire you, it's for a long time. It's not like a four year stint. Like, all right, we hired this this person for four years. They'll be gone if they're terrible. No, they you're going to be there a long time. So they're going to make sure that you're actually somebody who who is who is worth the shit, who is going to work hard. Somebody like not and not just that. Uh, not an asshole, like somebody that they want to be around and want to work with. So it's yeah. like, just be, be ready, be who you are. Don't fake it. But yeah. you know, if you're going to make the call, just be ready to go. Yeah. And if you, they know people in the career field. So what they do is they'll, they'll call people that they know. And if you're an yeah. asshole and you're, you burn bridges and you're the dude that like skates out of everything. And I mean, there's the folks everywhere, but if you're that guy and you're like, I need out of this thing, I need to go to the guard. I need to get away from these idiots, but you're the idiot. You go to the, guard. <laughs> the guard is going to know that. Like they're going to contact everybody in the active duty. And be like, Hey, peaches, what's up with this dude? And they're going to be like, uh, man, he skates out of a lot of stuff. Or, yeah. And then you may, I don't know if that's going to be a deterring factor. It's not my decision, but I just know that, in life, you want to be a good person and don't burn bridges because you go to the guard. It's an organization that you're going to be with for a long time and you want to make sure they want you there. And you're right. Like I didn't have that leisure because I did it during COVID during the initial invasion of COVID we'll say. So I couldn't go, I couldn't go TDY with them. They asked me, but I wasn't allowed to leave Bragg. So that kind of sucked. So I just did my first drill. I showed up and I, we did the OFT there. And I was just like, all right, dude, I got to go full send. Like, that's just my thing. I want to, I want to show everything I got to make sure that, you know, I want to, I want to impress, like I'm there. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure they know they got a good person. And so I, you know, I laid it all on the table. I didn't leave anything out. And I'm like, and I think they like me. I don't know if they're listening to this. They'll let me know. I had drill in like yeah. three days. So it's a job. And it's sucker. a job interview. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. That, that's gonna go well. When are we gonna make the uh, the COVID invasion veteran shirts? You know, like sorry, everything's a t-shirt in my mind. I, I like it. Well, we can make it. We can screen print them on our shirts. COVID invasion, you know, twenty twenty, whatever. Yeah, I'll live through it. Hey man, well, I uh, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, obviously, I'm wearing some some massive stuff, and uh, they're you know. I, I like it. So I, I wouldn't talk about anything that I don't really enjoy. And, and, and thanks for being a, a good dude. And I, I know you've helped some of the other guys out that have been on team that needed a little bit of, you know, gear before heading out the door. And um, yeah. so I really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, just speaks volumes about the community and everything else that we've talked about today. So man, thanks for coming on the podcast and answering all these questions and talking about tack P and uh, if you're listening, don't join the guard. It's miserable. And he hates it. That if, if, if you skip to the end, that's the, the, <laughs> Yeah, that's the lesson that we learned here. In but, fact, uh, somebody's going to call him afterwards and say, hey, man, you can't come back on there. You're just talking <laughs> yeah. too much shit about the guard. It's terrible. But please uh, like, subscribe, leave comments, and, uh, you know, reach out to, to uh, Massif. And Josh, do you have an Instagram page or anything that people can reach out to you? Yeah, uh, JB Lawrence. It's Juliet Bravo Lawrence 25 at uh, gmail.com. I think you can find my Instagram page. Um, that's just my personal one, but yeah, reach out to me. Any, any tactic related transition questions. I'm happy to be a resource. You can, uh, these guys are ones ready can provide my info. I'm happy for them to get that out. And then, uh, you know, josh.lawrence at massif.com is my work email. You can get me up there on massif stuff or guard stuff, whatever. I'm an open book and I'm happy to help. So I appreciate you guys having me on. It's been a blast. Yeah, man.
I appreciate it, man. So, yeah, for everybody out there, uh, you're welcome that we brought Josh on, and uh, we'll catch you all later for the next episode. Bye. <laughs>